0: A sermon-based small group is a group that meets um, after the sermons preached, usually, and its its content is in a lab format. So, in other words, you got to create discussion around a Bible passage, and it's already been taught because the pastor is the master teacher. The primary or what's a better one, maybe uh, is what a main disciple maker, not just an orator, but a disciple maker from the platform. And what happens is within about 70, 48 to 72 hours later, what happens is you're you've got people discussing around well thought through, prayed through questions and reinforcing Bible passages and the Bible passages from Sunday they're talking about it and they're discussing it and they're now not just passive listeners but they are active learners by moving to discussion
1: well hi and welcome to the expositors collective podcast episode 195 i'm your host mike neglia and the voice that you just heard is that of alan stoddard alan is the pastor of calvary ruidoso in new mexico Um, He completed his Doctor of Ministry degree from Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. He actually did his degree or his dissertation was on teaching pastors to reinforce expository preaching with sermon-based small groups. Um, He went on to co-author a book with Kenneth Priest called Groups That Revitalize, Bringing New Life to Your Church through sermon-based small groups. And guys, I'm gonna give you one guess to see what I spoke to him about. Yeah, I spoke with Alan about ways that we can maximize the reach of our pulpits and our preaching beyond just the preaching event that takes place on Sunday morning. But how do we get this into the hearts, minds, head, and hands of our people? Well. Alan would say, through sermon-based small groups. And so whether you have already launched this kind of ministry and are looking for further ideas and inspiration, or whether you're considering whether your church should start um, a small group discussion-based ministry, this podcast is definitely for you. Obviously, Alan is um, academically minded, but yet he is thoroughly practical in everything that he has to say. So I really commend this interview to you. I know that you're going to benefit. Make sure that you check out the show notes for links to his book and some other related issues. All right. I hope that this episode and all that we do at the Expositors Collective helps you to grow in your personal study and public proclamation of God's word. Hey, welcome to the Expositors Collective Podcast. I'm here with Alan Soddard, and uh, we're gonna have a great conversation. I can just feel it in my bones. Do you feel it, Alan? Yes, I do. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, Alan, yeah, let's just jump straight in. I, I love hearing about the the first sermon that you ever have preached. I know there's been hundreds since then, but when did you first get your start?
0: Okay, I was in Schweinfurt, Germany. I was in the army. I went to a small black Baptist church. There were only 15 people there in the evening service. And I was called to ministry that night. My wife had vowed she'll never marry a pastor. And then I'm standing at the front of the aisle as this only white guy in the room going, I think God's called me to ministry. My wife's going, you've got to be kidding me. Well, her dad was a pastor. And so in the black church, um my pastor's name is Elijah Mitchell and he taught me to preach in the local church sermon introduction sermon body sermon conclusion he did, I I had no idea what I was doing I didn't grow up in church and so so you go to You go to minister's training, they called it. It was an old school black church, minister's training. And then he called me one night and he said, okay, Stoddard. I said, yes, pastor. He said, you're going to be preaching Colossians chapter three, verses one through four. And you're going to be preaching it on this date. I can't remember what the date, it it was 1992. I remember that, the winter of 92. And uh, I preached it one Sunday morning. Uh, It was a good experience. Yeah. Um, it was a scary experience i remember the the feedback was that was too short i think it lasted 12 minutes okay <laughs> and and i had it all written out in a manuscript and i didn't know what i was doing at all well i knew some i mean my pastor had equipped me for some of it it's it's funny i remember pastor calling that night and he said now look when you preach, you're going to have 20 minutes, and if you go over, I'm going to sit you down. It was, it was, you know, it was one of these uh, in the black church back then. It was just very strong. You, you did what you were told, huh. and uh, but it was a good experience for me. I still have the sermon notes.
1: Are they are they handy? Are they available? No, uh, I think they're buried in a. Okay, I think okay. buried in a uh, a folder. Well, that is. Um, did you expect like? With that kind of warning about not going over 20 minutes, do you think that was a, a chief contributor to it only being 12?
0: Um, yeah, it, it was. Yes. I was just so scared and so nervous. I, I thought it went 20 minutes and it went like 12, 13 minutes. Uh, everybody said it was, you know, good word. Everybody was encouraging. Yeah. Um, the good thing for me is I got to re-preach that message on the Easter Sunday Uh, of 92. I remember that. My pastor called and said, we've had somebody counsel. You're going to be teaching this message at this church. You'll be going with me. and (laughs) It was awesome.
1: Wow. Yeah. In Colossians 3, that that would work. That'll work for Easter. Yeah. If you've been raised with Christ. Absolutely. Ah, well, that's that's great. And then did you become kind of a a, a regular preacher um, afterwards? Or was there a long gap between the first? There
0: was a long gap uh, in this in in the missionary Baptist church Mm -hmm. in the black tradition, you'll have a bunch of different ministers, they'll call them. And these are people that may or may not be going into vocational style ministry, but they are going to be preachers in the church. And there was probably five of us in that church. Then there was probably 40 people in the church at that point. Um, And, and we would rotate, but pastor would tell us he did most of the preaching. And when he felt like taking a break, he would tell us, I think I preached one more time at that church within a year's time. And he left and, um, and we, we left to come back to the States also. So it was a good experience.
1: Okay. And, and I'm assuming these would largely or probably exclusively be like military families or anyway, they're yes. all, all U.S. citizens. All military
0: families. Yes.
1: Okay. Okay. Yeah. What a, what a unique and interesting uh, uh, spiritual heritage uh, you have.
0: Yeah. It has been incredible to be around the black church the way most whites don't get that opportunity. And the best thing we can do is learn from that tradition uh it's really helped me,
1: yeah there's a book that I have on my um my scribe s- scribed account it's a, a an ebook that I have like in my queue um I think it's called say it and it's um came out maybe a year or two ago, and it was like mining the treasures of like African American expository preaching and um just yeah talking about like i i can tell you afterwards i don't want to yeah (laughs) um, yeah, i have it i have it in my in my reading reading queue but um charles no it's not hp charles Um, i think he he might have been one of the contributors to it um hp charles wrote a book called on preaching um but um yeah say it is more kind of an anthology um just kind of looking at like the broader expository uh movement within within the black preaching church but I'm not an expert. I hesitate to like, you know, want to be giving, you know, um, advice or commenting on something that on a a book that I haven't even read yet, but Hey, let's, let's move on to more, uh, things that, um, how have you grown since then? What are your, um, like, do you preach longer than 12 minutes now?
0: Yeah, I probably go about 40 minutes. I, I, um, have our team, we have a set time. I'm kind of stickular on time. I don't want to be going long in church services because we have a kids ministry and all that. Nice. And so our band will come out when we have seven minutes left in the service. Okay. And I'll know that that's time to start landing the plane, I call it. Um, after after those days, when I was called to ministry, I met a preacher professor from Southwestern named James Heflin. He was our interim pastor at Schwe- in Schweinfurt at a Southern Baptist church there. And he, he sold me on Southwestern Seminary. So, so I ended up at Southwestern. I got out of the Army after 11 years and went to Southwestern. I took some, a lot of good preaching classes. I took to some good guys. Um, they're not all the best known guys, but they, the way they did preaching was, for a guy like me, it really helped me understand what I was doing. Um, so Southwestern had a big impact on me. Um, I've grown through uh, one, a preaching conference that I always recommend somebody go, E.K. Bailey Expository Preaching Conference. It's a black preaching conference that they bring in uh, a mixture of people. It's not just for black folks, but it is dynamite. I've learned so much through that Um Dr. Lloyd C. Blue was my mentor. He's always a part of that. You Well, these days he's not, but he was. Um, a lot in the local church and black churches, there's an expectation that you're going to train preachers to preach. Hmm. Now, that's similar to Calvary's, by the way, because I was a Baptist guy for 26 years. Now I've been Calvary for four. And the school of ministry, that the approach, I love it, because right now I'm doing a six-week uh, school of ministry, about eight people come, but they let me teach Haddon Robinson's biblical preaching book, subject compliment, main idea, all this stuff they let me teach. And these are regular people. These are not people that are, that are called to ministry. These are people that want to learn to study and teach the Bible. And I mean, these are bikers. Some of them are just, it has been the best thing to take what God has given me and then pour it out into regular folks. I've just been blessed by that. Um, and then, you know, I was telling you before we logged on that, to be honest, I think the Expositor, Expositors Collective is probably the best homiletics thing because you're you're tapping into such a broad thing. And even though probably as Calvary guys, we don't even do some of the stuff you bring up. But I'm going, this is so good because we need to hear if I can get that one nuance of something else just by listening. I want to get that so God can shape me into who He wants me to be as a teacher, preacher
1: now. Wow. Well, thank you. Thank you for your kind words. I, I do appreciate that. Honored to be included in such a, a list of, uh, of influences. But uh, yeah, I just love being able to, to find people with something worth saying and, uh, and ask the kind of questions that hopefully help the hearers. And Alan, you're one of them. And here's the question. <laughs> so, Alan, I know that you um, feel strongly, and have uh, have you contributed in writing to the the broader conversation about sermon based like discussion groups? Yes. Uh, now, um, I, I bet that you could do a better job of explaining even what that concept is. I know that it's. It's it's gained popularity, so that maybe you don't have to start from like ground ground right. zero. But but what are you talking about? What's a sermon based discussion group? And then I'd like to ask some follow up questions about it.
0: Okay, a sermon based small group is a group that meets um, after the sermons preached usually, and its its content is in a lab format. So in other words, you got to create discussion around a Bible passage and it's already been taught because the pastor is the master teacher, the primary or what's a better one. Maybe uh, is what a main disciple maker, not just an orator, but a disciple maker from the platform. And what happens is within about seventy forty-eight 48 to 72 hours later, what happens is you're, you've are you got people discussing around well thought through, prayed through questions and reinforcing Bible passages and the Bible passages from Sunday. They're talking about it and they're discussing it. And they're now not just passive listeners, but they are active learners by moving to discussion. I always throw in the Edgar Dale cone of learning here where. We remember 5% of what we hear. We remember 10% of what we see and that whole little, there's a yeah, little. Stop. I hate little, that.
1: There's nothing I hate right. more than, than hearing than hearing that. And, yes, I, and right. I hear it and, and I believe it, but I don't like it. I don't like it one bit. No,
0: I agree. And I have found even last week, I go to a sermon based small group here. I don't lead it. I have a couple other people that lead it. And and it's tough because you're sitting in there, you just talked. Uh, two days ago. And then you're going, Oh, my gosh, they don't remember. Mm.
1: And so but it helps
0: them to bring it back up. You're not having to buy curriculum, you create your own curriculum. Um, You, you don't have to have teachers who have to study as much, they can become disciple making leaders. I usually give uh, one extra passage that wasn't in the sermon. So now the, the leader of the group can go, okay, now you can stop the group and go, now, look, I want to teach you something. Now open your Bible to this. And they just start going, but it's still connected by theme okay. to what you taught on. So now you're bringing up a cross reference that wasn't in the sermon, but now you're extending that sermon to Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday. And, and now I've found that people are growing more in it. It's easier to get leaders. Um, because they don't have to have this massive Bible background. And you. another part, I know I'm just blabbing, but another part of it is, and people will say, well, I don't have time to do it, but th- there's nothing better than, Then I like today, I will send out a seven minute video after I write the questions from yesterday. I'll write them in a PDF, load them up on subsplash, make them available. And then I will do a seven minute video that will go to our small group leaders where I for seven minutes just talk them through how to how to do this week and to disciple in that group. So now I'm getting to disciple my group leaders.
1: Alan, I love that. That is really great. It's a total package. Yeah, because yeah, as as I mentioned, yeah, before we started recording, yeah, we've we've been doing sermon-based groups for seven, eight, nine years. We've been doing it for a long time. But we took a break uh during COVID. And now we're like as of this week, they're they're starting up again. So it kind of feels like we're we're launching it afresh. And so I selfishly want to talk to you. A, so that the hearers of the, the podcast can learn from you, but selfishly that I can. And that's such a great idea. I mean, wouldn't it be ideal to get all the, 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 the leaders together in person in a group and you talk it through? But um, they're also committing time already, um, A, to prepare themselves for it, and then B, opening up their homes and allowing people to come and they're, they're putting hours in that way. So that, that could be a really great idea. I'd love to maybe consider start doing that.
0: Yeah, it it it's an add on. Most pastors, I find, they'll say, "Well, I don't have the time." You do have to switch your time to go. The pastor has to become the main educational ministry person in the church. Okay, huh. a disciple making pastor, and I had to make a switch on this. I've ha- I've gone through a revolution in the last few years where I've I've had to stop thinking, well, not stop thinking. I've had to start thinking in addition to preaching and teaching, I've I've thought, how do I disciple small group leaders? Because I want them mobilized to be able to make disciples themselves. Yeah. Um, And you know what? Some of these guys, I could actually say to one or two of them, hey, I'm going to be gone Sunday on this date, a month from now. Could you teach that morning? And because I paid attention to them the way I have, they could go, yes, I can step in. They wouldn't like it. They'd be scared to do it. But they would go, I can do it. So you're making this reproductive environment. Absolutely. And then big uh, Dave Ferguson has a book called The Big Idea. And back in 2007, I think it was, he identified 21 different ideas that people get at church. And he basically argued, we're giving people too much information. Why would you switch and change the topic five times in a week when you've got one topic that you need to drill straight down
1: okay yeah yeah
0: so that's a sermon based small group
1: yeah so does he is he identifying 21 ideas in a typical sermon or or 21 things from the time somebody comes in to the time that the benediction comes and they leave
0: he's counting every different thing that was there he says they go he, I, one of the things he'll say is they go to they go to a kids thing and there's a different topic and then they go to this other, maybe tween or youth thing. And there's different topics all over the board. And then and then you go into the hallway and then there's a different discussion. You got announcements with this and that. And he just said, we're bombarding people. And then he streamlined it. He said, why don't we teach one topic to kids and adults? And his church, it was crazy. When I researched them for my doctoral work, They were 13 weeks ahead in their sermon based small group preparation. I read that and I went, I'm not, yeah, I saw the response. I was like, Oh my gosh, that is incredible. Now they've got this massive church up in Chicago. That's Dave Ferguson. I can't remember
1: the name of the church. Um, Wow. Well, we'll find out. It'll be in the show notes. (laughs) Um, So what an interesting difference. Now, obviously, you know, Dave Ferguson's church is quite ahead of the ball on this. They're 13 weeks ahead. And then it's Monday as we are recording this. And it sounds like you are one day behind that that you preached yesterday. And then today, this morning, you're going to put together these questions and then have the email sent out, you know, by lunchtime, I imagine. Um, What what is kind of the optimum? Of course, you're going to say one day behind is just fine. But what is the the optimum or for someone listening to this thinking I should I should do that? What how 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 far should people be thinking ahead?
0: I would say uh, more than late last week, 10 days. Um, I think you've got enough to go 10 days. You don't have to be that far out They They were at Ferguson's church and other churches. Now, since this has taken off, they're producing materials in larger churches. They got their own printing press and things like that. So I get why they need to do it. But 10 days out to me would be fine. I don't even mind Monday because um, I take, I think you have to teach a sermon to be able to write about the small group questions you need to have your groups talking about, it's an experience.
1: Yeah,
0: Um, That's what I'm loving about the Expositors Collective is there's a lot of tapping into teaching and preaching is an experience. It's not just a lecture, not that it's not a lecture, but it's all. So with these groups, you write this curriculum. I I think Monday, I don't think it's a bad deal other than it it can feel like a task. And so a pastor's going to go, I'm busy. And you could farm it out you could let someone else do it. Uh, People on staff could do it during the sermon. They could could have three or four questions. I mean, you're talking about an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper that has well-crafted questions. Uh, You could put 10 questions on there. I I usually have them give a sermon review, read the passage, talk through the passage as much as you can as a group, and then do an outline review, state the big idea. And all that happens in two minutes by the group leader. And then, okay, question number one, boom. Okay, what do you think in here? Boom, 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 boom. And you just get people talking. The, the reason for that is because this. Now, it used to be we didn't want to do this. We would say, oh, no, that's pooled ignorance, some people would say. It's pooled mm-hmm. ignorance. I get that. I'm not trying to diss that. However, if we're going to make disciples and see where people grow, I have to know where they are. And I can't know where they are if I if they only listen and I'm looking at them. That doesn't work for me. I want to hear you talk about your life with the with the word of God. And so this strategy is a strategy where you get people talking, and then during the discussion, the leader jumps in and goes, "Okay, I've got to read for this. Yeah. Let me jump in, and now the." You're going to open this Bible, you're going to open your Bible, or and either reinforce what was taught, or you're going to expand further on what was taught. Uh But I will never know. Like last week, we have a guy, great construction working guy named Josh, and I had never heard him talk about his faith. He's been coming to the church, he's a great guy, but I sat across from him. In a group of 12 last week, and I went silently, I went, wow, this is amazing to hear him talk like this. I've never seen him talk like this. This is awesome. So, that stuff, you have to buy into discussion as a vehicle to
1: get to, discu- to teaching. Right. And I, I want to ask, like, so what, what are the kinds of questions that prompt that sort of discussion? Or, or maybe to flip it, what are bad questions that we should avoid? Hmm. Actually, okay. you probably don't spend that, a lot of time thinking about bad questions. <laughs> you probably, maybe, yeah, yeah. What, what's a good question? What, what kind
0: of that is a a great question you're asking because I think sometimes you can you can ask the wrong questions. I would say the wrong questions are the ones that get too personal for somebody who's right. new to the group. Too fast and you just don't know like we have a guy leading our group that is uh he knows everybody but he he'll put people on the spot to answer questions and and it's it's okay um for most people that have been there for a while he'll ask how's your bible how how are you doing with the bible or what do you think what what rubbed you the most about
1: sunday's message okay Um,
0: Okay. i think the more personal questions
1: are yeah the more personal are are good or bad
0: they're not i think they're good but you have to be careful with them because they can be bad if you put somebody on the spot right in a way that makes them uncomfortable in the group certainly
1: yeah
0: because and the reason why that that's obvious but the reason why it's more obvious and needs to be more attentive in this situation because these groups are based on discussion you'll find bad doctrine in these groups but that's why you want to do it
1: yeah exercise i want to know where
0: you are and it's yeah. And it's okay to differ. It's okay to actually be wrong. It's not a problem. Now, we're not going to agree with the wrong if it's bad doctrine, but we want, and there'll be times where I'll hear that and I won't even correct it on the spot. I'll put a mental note and I'll say, that's something for later. I don't want to correct them in front of everybody unless I absolutely have to.
1: Yeah. Probably. Yeah. It depends on like the severity of the error. Too. Yeah. 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 Or or then also too, the the maturity of those that have heard it, you know, is it, is it people yes. that are like taking notes and thinking, Oh yeah, that's great. Or is it ever, did everyone kind of in the room kind of catch it? And yes, oh, yes. yeah, that's not, that's not right. That's right. Yeah. There's all kinds of these, yeah, various social dynamics that, that go into it. Uh, so, you asked about the questions. Yeah, of course. I was, I was here's, about here's, to get back
0: to it. Yeah. Here's my thinking. So like, what i do is i want to get people talking fast so i use softball questions so one of the questions will be just right out of the bat it'll be hey what what was your takeaway what what stuck out to you what rubbed you the most i mean and there'll be those people that are note takers in the services who they'll jump right in and if you did something maybe controversial somebody might jump in on that but i try to get the first two or three discussion questions are really uh kind of felt need i hate to say it like that but Haddon Robinson says, like in an introduction of a sermon, you need to uncover a felt need. And he says, when you do that, you will end up uh, with someone listening quicker and for a longer period of time, as opposed to not. That was his philosophy. So I try to turn that over to small groups and go, let's get people talking. Let's not start lecturing right away. We did that Sunday. Let's get them talking. And so there'll be,
1: you know, It'll usually be a practical application question. Okay. Yeah. Which, which oftentimes might be towards the end of the sermon, maybe, you know, but yeah. it's the beginning of the conversation. Yes. Which, but that's that's where that's like it's kind of continuing the conversation, maybe even. It's that you you began the conversation on Sunday and then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, the conversation continues.
0: Yes. One one thing you can do by planning early is you can get the questions two leaders earlier. I think leaders would, they will respect it. My guys haven't seen me do that much. Um, Now they like the element of discovery and surprise. So a couple of them said, I don't need the questions early. I don't know, want to know what's coming. I'm going to wait until the service. And I'm, I tell our leaders have at least one question that you've got from your own experience from Sunday's teaching. Don't don't rely on what we're writing for you, because if you write 10 questions, probably three of them are going to be the main driving questions for your discussion, your small group. I mean, you can move fast. I would move fast. I prefer to use every question if I can. But even then, you're squeezing 10 questions because if you got 12 people and they start talking. Sometimes I have to say, hey, okay, give me the group back (laughs) because they are growing. They're discussing. They're all fired up and they're like, well, the Bible says this and that. And I'm, I'm sitting there as a leader going, this is great, because I never knew where you guys were with the Bible.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I, I live in Ireland, and so um, the, the church here is, is full of Irish people, as you'd expect. And, uh, yeah, the, the term gift of the gab, um, it actually is true. <laughs> so right. um, a lot of chatty folks here, and it's wonderful. And um, I w- when we did it, and now that we're doing it again, Um, what I've said to a lot of the leaders is that we'll have, let's say seven or eight questions, but I've said the language that I've used is like, this is not like a script that you have to get through every one of these lines. Yes. Kind of like a menu. And from the menu, you order a few different items, what you think is best for, for the group. That's great. And that has kind of helped because some people felt the pressure, you know, and, and again, it's not a bad thing, but felt the pressure to get through every single question and, um, to do kind of a, a light dabble across all of them instead of some deep dives.
0: Yeah, that is genius because the reality is um, you're not going to get through all those and you don't, you don't, that's where, this is a philosophy. So small group life is a philosophy. When we, when we, um, when we started doing them, we were running uh, 12 to 20 people in our Wednesday night Bible study in Calvary Ruidoso. Um, we we have about 200 people in the circle, and our attendance is a little down right now. It's fall, and it's what it is, but we don't even worry about stuff like that anymore. We're like, whatever. But when we went to sermon-based small groups, we went from a Wednesday night Bible study teaching of 12 to 20 people. When we added groups— I added it up last week. We're, we have a total of 96 people engaged with the Bible through sermon-based small groups. There's just something about putting food around it and and Bible. And, and you know, when I became a Calvary guy, I thought, oh, yes, Calvary verse by verse. These yeah. groups are going to work perfectly for Calvary. Now, not every Calvary, you know, Calvary's, If you have a strong Wednesday night. You don't need to do... You don't need to cancel your Wednesday night, but we stopped doing Wednesday night. And it was just a decision we needed to make so that we could say, look, let's quit do, trying to do something that everybody else does that works for them. But for us, it's not working. Let's expand this thing and see if we can get more people involved around the Bible. And it has totally worked for us.
1: Yeah, yeah, as, as did we and, and as, as did many um, to, to really decentralize it. And you go from, let's say, 12 people attending a Wednesday night, so then 96 people um, interact with the Bible. But more than that, too, it goes from one person up front teaching and leading to, yeah. what, seven, eight, nine people yes. teaching and leading. And that is that is even even more of a win than the amount of like people that are occupying the yeah. seats and learning. It's that you're empowering people to, to lead and to articulate God's word and to be doing pastoral work, um, you know, and, and I love it. And I can't wait again for us to get back back going. Um, it, you know, we had a time when it was um, every night of the week. There was there was groups happening, and it was this wonderful thing. You know, Alan, like on like a on a Tuesday night to be at home watching Netflix with my wife or something, and then be like, you know what? There's people that are being ministered to right now while I, I'm sitting here watching Stranger Things. I, you know, <laughs> praise the Lord.
0: <laughs> I agree. My wife sometimes says are we free tonight? That's awesome.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But like, but it, it's continuing on. And so there's this, yeah, good things are taking place and you know, there's, they're incompetent capable hands and it's a, it's a, it's good. Um. So here's maybe a, a follow-up question. Um, I asked maybe some, what are some questions that make for good um, discussion, but also what's, what's the kind of preaching that makes for good conversation? Like, like, you want to have sermons that are worth discussing. And is there a way that you consciously preach on Sunday, knowing that there's going to be discussions taking place about it afterwards?
0: I don't know that I do a great job at that. Let me throw that out first. Um, aren't I think, you like a doctor of small groups? Like, are yeah, <laughs> a PhD in small groupology? I, 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 I wish I'd, I need to, here's what, it's like this. It's like um, where we're online, what's happening is I think sometimes we're stopping and we're not mentioning the people who are online anymore. Now that we start meeting in the room, we start stop mentioning them and we start stop thinking. So I've leaned back into talking to people online still, even though our online numbers are not what they were during the pandemic. Same thing with the small group piece. It's got to be talked out. Um, it's You have to think forward. And I don't do the, as much of that. I I would say once a month, if I were guessing, I will say, okay, now in your small group, we're going to be talking about this. Or I'll come the next week. I love it when I can do this. Now, guys, last week we talked about this in our small groups. It was so awesome. Mm-hmm. And you can say that because now in the life of the church for people who don't go to group, they're hearing I want them to even feel like they're a, a part of it even if they're not um, because the discussions can happen anywhere we're already discussing that so I think I think it's something to be leaned into I'm wanting to write a um, an ebook of some kind it's been on my mind to write how to to write and develop the curriculum itself how to write and do it like in a procedural way because that's the one thing pastors will say. They'll say, I don't have time for it. And I tell them, you don't have time not to do it if you're gonna do this. Right. Um,
1: yeah.
0: yeah. I I do think you gotta the more you can wed them, and I'm glad you said that because I need to just get with the program and start thinking more like that. It it does nothing but help.
1: Yeah, and, and we eagerly await that ebook.
0: <laughs> yeah, amen. Yeah, I've been talking to my friend Kenneth about it. Um, He co-authored the book with me, Kenneth Priest, and I've been talking to him about it. And I just want to, we need to give pastors something
1: that can help. Right. Because it's, yeah, it's such a, such a great, yeah, model. It's, do you want to really briefly, can you maybe build a case for the person that's listening to this and thinking, all I'm hearing is pragmatism. All I'm hearing is Mike wants to watch Stranger Things instead of teach the Wednesday Night Bible study, you know. Um, <laughs> uh, is is there a biblical case for this, Alan?
0: Yes. You know, it, I'm so glad you're asking that. When I wrote the second chapter at Gordon-Conwell, the theological chapter for my project, Haddon Robinson kicked it back. I mean, and he was an old school guy. He didn't email it back. He mailed it back. And oh. I opened the package and it was red. I mean, he just blistered it. And basically wrote me a note saying, you've got to prove this from the Bible. He said, I get what you're saying, but is this, in the, this is a theological chapter. This is not a my opinion a chapter and church growth chapter. So he said, go look in the book of Acts. See if this is in the Bible. Well, then I looked and I noticed that Jesus, uh, it's those times where he would speak in public and then he would pull them off in private and he wouldn't change the subject. He would say, "Now let me, let's talk about this more. Let's let's drill down on what I just said, instead of me giving you something else. Those are uh, there's examples in the book on this, um, and, and then in the book of Acts, they did the same thing. Paul would go and he would preach, and he if with him often it was a confrontation, and then he would leave, and disciples would go with him, and he would say, "Now let me t- let's talk about what we just saw in the synagogue." Yeah, these guys, this right. and that. And I was teaching on this and. And the book of Acts has examples of this. And what I argue in, in the book, uh, groups that revitalize, is, is that the pastor is the master teacher of the church and is called, according to 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 9, Titus 1, 5 through 9, to embody and imperfectly embody the life of Christ, and to infuse into other people. And we've seen that in our culture, where so many preachers have been exposed for things, and we're all standing around going, my gosh, what's happening to the church? Well, God wants to set us in the middle of those churches, walk with integrity, and then disciple out of it. The pastor has to be the master disciple maker, not the master sermonizer. And I'm all about, I'm all about what you do with Uh, the show and all this. This is so good. However, it can't be just that we're good at homiletics. We got to teach people how how to teach the Bible. And so so the case is, sermon-based small groups are going to make disciple-making for a lead teaching pastor. They are going to make disciple making much easier. You don't have to manage curriculum. All you have to do is teach the way you're already doing and then put some questions around it and then invest with integrity in the small group leaders that you already have. And here's the thing. I I, I mean, I, I was hoping it would work at Calvary because I was like, oh my gosh, if this doesn't work, this is going to be bad People are going to be going, no, these small group things. I always, I always thought, well, people are going to say, you're the Baptist guy. And you're trying to do small groups in the Calvary church. And, and Calvary's have already, already done small groups. But they work. They, it will work because the pastor gets more involved in the disciple-making process than he is just by sitting in a room by himself teaching the Bible openly. I, I'm not against that, but I think for many mid-sized and smaller churches, this is the way to go. I'm not saying big churches don't, because uh, uh, the big churches are obviously doing it. I think Skip Heitzig uses sermon-based small groups. I, there's plenty of Calvaries that are doing it, but I say mid-size to smaller churches because usually those churches are trying to emulate a Wednesday night service that may or may not be working.
1: That was a lot. Sorry. Wow. And and ironically for us. When, when we were a lot smaller, that's when we did, you know, the sm- you know when Calvary Cork, my church, was, was smallest, that's when we emulated the, the model of the big church, which is yeah. Sunday, Sunday, you know, Sunday, New Testament, Wednesday, Old Testament, you know, and uh, I, I, again, it's not the pragmatism and it's not next about growth or something. However, pivoting and switching and switching that out has actually made room for a lot more people. So that's an interesting thing. Yeah, and on, on the discipleship thing, I, you know, I'm just remembering what Jesus says, the Great Commission, you know, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded and behold, I'm with you all um, to the end of the age. And I've heard somebody else say this, but like, but the goal oftentimes we think as preachers is that the goal is to teach them everything Jesus commanded. And, and we do that. But it's more than that. It's teaching them how to observe it, teaching them how to obey it, teaching that, that practical aspect of this is what it looks like to a life lived in obedience looks like this. And of course, our Sunday morning sermons should include glimpses of that. But oftentimes it's not until there's people sitting around a table with food in their mouths um, talking about this is how it's looking as I'm raising my my seven-year-old. This is what it looks like as I'm interacting with this work colleague. This is what it looks like as I'm, uh, yeah, all the, the ins and outs of life that there's often not time in a sermon for it, but like it's the observing of what Jesus has to say and do or observing it. That's when it comes out in these discussion groups.
0: Yeah, amen.
1: Amen. <laughs> okay, hey, so maybe a... Okay, one and a half final questions, okay? So the half question is, can you just like, once again, really clearly tell us like um, the name of your book, where people can get it, what's it about, who's the target audience? And then I have a question about Haddon Robinson for you.
0: Okay, so the book is called Groups That Revitalize, Bringing Life to Your Church Through Sermon-Based Small Groups by Kenneth Priest and Alan Stoddard. You can get it on Amazon. And uh, it's in ebook and paper. Um, it's um, it's basically a, a synthesized uh, of our two dissertations. And my friend Kenneth is a church revitalization um, expert. He really is, and I mean that in the best way of helping churches within the Southern Baptist Convention and others. He works with anybody, but. To, so that's that. So the, the book is basically just a, a review of the research I did in
1: 2008 of sermon based small groups. And yeah. OK. And of course, there'll be a, a link in the show notes for everybody that wants to get it now. And OK, finally. So you were one of the final like batch of students who have the honor of learning from uh, Dr. Haddon Robinson. Um, what's, what's something that you took away from that, um, for those of us that never have been able to learn from him in person, just through his books, um, what's, what's something that you benefited from sitting under such an influential, uh, voice?
0: Uh, two things. There's so many of them. I, I, when I was an undergraduate student, I saw a picture of him and I had heard about him and I thought, if I ever get to get a chance to study with him, I'm going to jump in. And I did, I couldn't believe it. One was when we went up to Gordon Conwell. He would he and Bonnie would have us over to their house, and they would just make food, and they would just have like fourteen of us students there, and he would just be a regular guy, um, mm-hmm. and I just was blown away by that. I was enamored that uh, wow, this guy is a big name guy, probably trained more preachers ever, and he's just a regular guy. They're just regular people. Um, another one would be this, and I always tell people this. So when we when I went to Gordon-Conwell, you go up and you have to preach in front of Haddon. And he brings in other guys that are teaching with him. And you have to preach without notes. You know that's coming. And they teach you how to do that. So you got to basically manuscript everything and internalize it. But out of the three times that I spoke in class, only one time did it go well. I thought, man, I'm not going to make this. And on the second time, I was trying to explain... It was it was an odd assignment. I didn't like it. You had to c- come up with this creative story that was around uh, the the story of uh, the prodigal son. And I did it and I thought it was fine. But the, you had to get evaluated in front of the class and Haddon's there. And he, he grew up in Harlem and he's got this uh, northeast kind of grittiness to him. And I'm standing there trying to explain it. And he goes, it didn't work. And I'm just going, oh my gosh, I'm so defeated. And then I go up to him after and I say, Dr. Robinson, am I, am I okay? Do I need to like, do I need to drop out of this class? Do I need to stop? And he, he looked at me with this look like, what are you talking about? He said, you're fine. Let's go to lunch. (laughs) And the takeaway is I've been telling people in our school of ministry, cause I'm, I'm pretty tough on, I'm not mean tough, but I said, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And I remember Haddon would just tell you in class, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Don't force it. And he was pretty straight about that. And it's helped me because it's made me become a better preacher to go. Don't assume it's all good because you think you know what you're doing.
1: Keep growing.
0: <laughs> That's what he was trying
1: to say. Yeah. And the whole point of like, Critique or criticism is that, you know, the critique is of your story or the critique is of your illustration. It's it's not this personal thing against you, Alan. No, um, it like, wasn't at it's, all. It's, that didn't work. Um, it's not that you are a failure. You know, um, right? The, the problem is, and I'm sure psychologists could analyze us. You know, but oftentimes as preacher, as preachers, our sermon is us. You know, or it feels like yes. It, you know? And possibly, I think there's probably, to some degree, a healthy way of doing that, but a whole lot of unhealthy ways of doing that, where any any critique of our baby is a critique of of us. But uh, I'm glad that he helped you see that difference.
0: It makes us better. I remember one time in class, they told us, they would assign you passages and you had to do these, and you knew them before you were coming. Uh, To make it short, I remember a guy, a Southern Baptist guy, He forced a three-point form on a two-point passage in Psalm 127. And I mean, they lit him up. They weren't mean about it. They weren't rude. They just said, did you not listen when we told you that use the literary form of the Bible? And they were trying to nicely say, you're a Southern Baptist guy, and you guys put three points on everything. (laughs) And it went well, but I think that's good to hear, to go, hey— we got to grow. We, we don't have to do it. Like we've been told, cause we were actually, we were told some bad preaching stuff. No one meant wrong by that.
1: Of course. Of course. Yeah. Well, Alan, thank you so much for, for your time. I and mean, I love like, you know, that this kind of deep dive into something that we've never talked about on the show before. So I, I, I hope that it serves the, the preachers and the pastors and the church leaders that are listening to this. Um, You know, we're both believers in the small group uh, sermon discussion model. And hopefully, yeah, you've helped people to think a little bit clearer about it, that they might even consider starting it, or you've certainly given ways for me to improve. And I, I thank you for that. So, you
0: know, thanks for having me on the show. Uh, man, it's a real honor. I love the Expositors Collective. It's just going to motivate me to get it out there to more people. And thanks, Mike. I appreciate it. Can't wait to see you at the next thing. Hey, I'm trying to bring a group of people to Costa Mesa for the next one.
1: That wow. Thank you for saying that. That is the best product placement yeah. plug. You could ever I'm, just, I'm just waiting for that date. When that date comes, I'm
0: buying yeah. tickets and I'm going to try to get people from our school of ministry to come to it.
1: Oh man. Well then I, Lord willing, we'll see you there. That's great. That's great. Thank you so much, Alan. This is great. Thank you, brother. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Stoddard. Really appreciate you sharing not just your learning, but um, a bit of your life with us as well. Um, I definitely appreciate it. And I know that the pastors, leaders, and the community group leaders are going to appreciate um, the work that you've done. So, Um, Link to his book um, is in the show notes. And also, I want to say um, that our next training event is taking place um, in February 18th and 19th in Costa Mesa, California. February 18th and 19th, Costa Mesa, California. You can register and find details at expositorscollective.com. And guys, I want you to definitely subscribe to this podcast, either on Spotify, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts, because next week we have a returning guest. Ronnie Martin um, is going to speak to us about how to prepare and preach Advent and Christmas sermons. It's coming every year. December is almost upon us. And if you're like me, you have the annual thought, what on earth am I gonna preach about this year? And so Ronnie's gonna help us think about how to honor Christ as we enter into the Christmas season. So make sure you're subscribed. You're definitely gonna wanna listen to next week's episode. Okay, I hope that this episode and all that we've done and all that we are doing at the Expositors Collective is going to help you grow in your personal study and public proclamation of God's word.